So what I'm going to cover for you guys is uh, a different version of psychology than you would get from my wife, uh, who is a clinical psychologist. Uh, I'm going to get, give you something called neurodiversity. And neurodiversity is where we celebrate everybody's differences, right? So it's not that a person has an anxiety or depression or autism, whatever label, right, that they've been given for whatever reason or whatever diagnosis they have, right? We, in neurodiversity, the whole thought process from this book here by Dr. Thomas Armstrong, the whole point of neurodiversity is that we'll accept everybody's differences, right? And maybe there's a reason for all these different things. There's a reason for someone having these diverse uh, concepts and these diverse thoughts and these, this diverse mind. And it's not a bad thing or a wrong thing, right? It's just a different thing, right? Uh, when we were just uh, recently at a lecture and uh, someone with autism was talking, they said, I'm not disabled, I am differently abled, right? I am not disabled, I am differently abled, right? And that's accepting neurodiversity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the neurodiversity concept. Um, and this won't be on your final, right? Because Lisa's not going to put the stuff that I talk about on your final. Um, but you should just know about this, right? So we're going to spend like an hour or so talking about this, maybe less, maybe more, I'm not sure. Uh, and then I'll dismiss you sometime around 9-ish, maybe a little before 9, and you guys can go on with your day, all right? <clears throat> so this is Dr. Thomas Armstrong. And this is what he has said is over the past 60 years, we witnessed like this huge growth in the number of psychiatric illnesses. <clears throat> the American Psychiatric Association Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, first published in 1952, has 100 categories. By year 2000, that's 300. With the DSM-5, it's even more, right? Why do you think that they changed the DSM-4 to the DSM-5? The reason they changed it is to add more drugs and to add more things that you add more drugs for, right? We are creating a drug culture. Every problem's got some kind of drug. The fastest growing antidepressant use is for kids under the age of six, right? It's crazy, crazy. All, Ritalin is just handed out like candy. Teachers are allowed to say, your child needs Ritalin in certain states, including Georgia. That's absurd. That is totally absurd. The only person who should ever use Ritalin is someone who's tried everything else first, and if that doesn't work, then you can resort to Ritalin. Ritalin should be a last resort for these kids, not the first step. And that's what neurodiversity talks about. Neurodiversity talks about how we should accept their differences, right? So if a kid has ADHD, accept his ADHD. If a kid has autism, you accept the autism wherever they are and teach to that child. Right? Instead of trying to teach to this norm, right, you try to teach to the child. Right? Everybody here is different. Some of you guys love listening, so you'll be paying attention. Some of you guys are more visual learners, so you like watching videos. Some of you guys are more <coughs> kinesthetic, you like touch. Right? Everybody's got a different way to learn. So if, we, if you really want to teach kids with ADHD or kids with autism or kids who are depressed or kids who are bipolar, there's ways to teach them, right? But first you have to accept the fact that they're neurodiverse. And it's not wrong and it's not bad, 
It's just different. It's just different. So how many? The National Institute of Mental Health <coughs> reports one quarter of all Americans suffer from a psychiatric disorder in every, any given year. And the conclusion is going to be nearly every individual in the country may have a psychiatric disorder one degree to another. Right? Everybody's got their own strengths and their own weaknesses. So does that mean all of us need drugs? Right? Is that the next step? Is the next step that we're going to what they call a brave new world? Right? Did you all read that book when you were in, in high school or college, Brave New World? Right? If you haven't read that book, you really should. Christmas break, if you haven't read that book, Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, written in the 1950s. Yeah, it's a novel. <clears throat> it's a novel. And here's what Brave New World talks about. Brave New World talks about this world where everybody is living like in sort of a commune, right? It was sort of a, a thing against uh, the whole communist regime back in the, that time, the Cold War time. And one of the things that happens is everybody has, uh, eats in a cafeteria. <clears throat> and in the cafeteria, on your cafeteria line, when you're walking like this, and they give you this, and they give you that, and give you this, in the morning and at night, they give you a little cup. And in that little cup, they give you a drug. And the drug that they called was Soma, S-O-M-A, Soma. <clears throat> and that Soma was essentially an antidepressant, right? And this was, the Brave New World was about a group of people who did not take the Soma and how they saw the world differently, right? And what they tried to do to change their little piece of the world, right? So is that what the United States wants us to come to? Because it sure looks that way. Sure looks that way from my perspective. I've been practicing for 26 years. 26 years. Mostly pediatrics, that's my thing. I have watched the kids drastically change in the 26 years I've been in practice. I've watched the adults drastically change too. When I first started practice, hardly anybody was on antidepressants. Now, probably one in three, one in four adults are on antidepressants. A lot of kids coming th through my office, whether they're autism, ADHD, learning disorders, sensory processing issues, whatever it happens to be, are on some kind of medication, right? It's just being thrown around like candy, right? It's because we don't want to accept it. We don't want to teach to that particular person. We want to teach to a norm, right? We want to just spit out some kind of curriculum, and I don't care who's listening. But that's really not the greatest way to teach to, uh, somebody. <clears throat> so this is an epidemic. Neurodiversity is an epidemic. And the growth of mental illness suggests that there's a crisis in the making. How much longer can we continue to add new psychiatric illness to the list before it becomes apparent that we have moved too far in pathologizing a sizable chunk in the United States? Are we going to say every one of you is sick? Every one of you has got some kind of problem, needs some, some sort of drug? Right, that's the brave new world concept. You're all depressed. So let's give you all SOMA. So you all shut the hell up and go and do your work, right? right? That was the whole point of this thing, is everybody, just go and do your work, right? Just like, just like 1984, have you heard that book? Right, George Orwell, these are two books, if you haven't read some of these books, <coughs> man, Christmas, this is your Christmas break. 1984 is free on Kindle, right? You should read these books, right? Talking about how the government is watching us, right? And we see the changes. I see what they were talking about what Huxley was talking about. I see what Orwell was talking about, right? It's, a lot of this is coming to pass, right? It's coming to fruition, right? They, they weren't far from the truth. <clears throat> there is, according to Dr. Armstrong, an answer to this crisis. The constant neurodiversity provides a paradigm shift 
in how we think about this. Instead of regarding large portions of the American public as suffering from a deficit, disease, or dysfunction, neurodiversity suggests we instead speak about the differences in cognitive functioning. Right? Everybody's got different ways of thinking. <clears throat> so if a child comes into my office and one boy is an example <clears throat> who um, is a 16-year-old nonverbal autistic child. Does that mean he doesn't function? Right? Does that mean he's a non-functional person because he doesn't talk? Right? He doesn't talk the way we talk. Doesn't mean he doesn't talk. But he, he talks. He has his own language. Right? So is my language different than your language? Right? That would be like me and you going to France and them saying, well, you have some kind of language deficit disorder because you don't speak French. Right? I just don't speak autism. Right? He speaks autism. He has a different way of communicating. Right? It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just different. Now, will, will, should we try to teach him easier ways to communicate with us? Absolutely, because if you went to France, wouldn't you want to learn a little French? Right? So you can communicate with some of the people there? Absolutely. <clears throat> so we're teaching him different things. We're showing different things, sign language, you know, other kind of ways to communicate. <clears throat> Adjusting him, trying to get his brain and his nerve system working better, doing some primitive reflex work with him, trying to teach him that, and teach his body that there's different ways to interact. When he first came in, he would not look me in the eyes, or anybody in the eyes for that matter. He wouldn't smile. Yesterday we saw him in the afternoon. <clears throat> he walks in and he smiles, right? Looks me right in the eye and smiles, right? And when we talk to him, he looks at me, right? He looks at me, right? Eyes are the windows to your soul, the windows to your brain. And their eyes of an autistic child is shut down. But with chiropractic adjustments, right, you can turn that child back on, right? That's the possibilities that we see in our practice, right? That's the possibilities you can see in your practice. You know, don't, if you're, if you're entering into, a student, into your outpatient clinic, you know, a time right now, Please do me a favor. Don't just stick with the senior citizens that you're handed down. Please. Please try to get some adults, I mean, uh, some kids in your practice, right? And you know how you do it? You say, oh, I don't know how to do it. All I have is senior citizens, right? They all got grandkids. This is super easy, right? Super easy. Build your practice. This is what I did when I was in student clinic years ago. I got my handed down senior citizens. I said, hey, you guys got any kids, grandkids? Yeah. What's going on with them? Anything, any health issues? Yeah. I got one kid with autism, one kid with ADHD, one kid with this problem. Bring him in. Let's go. What are you waiting for? Let's bring him in. Right? That's why I started seeing kids. Right here, Life University Clinic, 1989. Right? This is why I suggest for you guys. Don't just, don't just do the bare minimums in clinic. Right? I just, how many more adjustments do I need? Let's see. It's week 10. I need three more adjustments. Forget about minimums. The idea is maximum. Right? Everybody needs chiropractic care to some degree or another. Everybody needs chiropractic care. So why don't you ask for the kids? Right? The adults are sometimes a lost cause. <laughs> but the kids, man, we got the whole future with the kids, right? You know, the left brain and the right brain are two completely different things. Would you say someone who's very artsy, right? Who's really into like very expressive kind of a person. Would you say that person is wrong or bad? If you like math and accounting, you're quieter? Is that wrong? You're wrong. You like accounting? You're a jerk. You should only like art, right? You should only like design and graphics, 
right? That's not wrong. Everybody's got their own thing, right? Everybody's got their own talent. Well, some kids, what happens is their brain is not just one side, you know, has a little bit more dominance. Some kids, their dominance is outrageously different. Huge difference, right? That's what brings on things like autism, ADHD, learning disorders, is one side of the brain is way, way, way more dominant than the other side of the brain, right? Dr. Melillo calls that a disconnection, right? Doctor, he calls that a disconnection, a functional disconnection. So we don't look at a disconnection as bad. We look at it as different. And can we create a better connection for these kids? So I love this quote. We don't pathologize a lily for not having petals. Do we call this a petal deficiency disorder, right? You only have one petal. You're broke, right? You should, have, you should be like me. I'm a rose. I have many, many petals, right? Does a rose talk to a lily and say, you're wrong. You're a bad flower, bad flower. You should have more petals. No, we shouldn't pathologize individuals that have different ways of thinking, relating, attending, and learning, right? Everybody is different, and it's okay to be different, right? And when we celebrate the okayness of it, when we celebrate the fact that it's okay to have but to be neurodiverse, then we have a different way of looking at things, right? You know, this country is becoming very polarized, very polarized in so many different ways, right? And what I'm suggesting is that we, all, we need to all come together and be okay with everybody's differences, right? The reason that the United States is the most beautiful country in the world is because we were the melting pot, right? We let everybody come in, right, from all walks of life and all races and all religions, <clears throat> they came to America, right? Nobody else is rushing to go anyplace else, right? Everybody's rushing to come here because we're the melting pot, right? But now the melting pot is getting polarized, right? We're trying to draw lines in the sand, and that's not right. We want to embrace diversity. We want to embrace all kinds of diversity, whatever that diversity is. And I'm suggesting in this class that we embrace neurodiversity as well. <clears throat> so let's talk, oops. now I'm gonna talk a little bit about depression and anxiety from a neurological perspective here. <clears throat> By the way, for those of you guys who've come in late, um, I have Scantrons. Do not leave this class without filling out a Scantron, otherwise you will be considered absent. All right? So when we're done, when I'm done, probably close to 9 o'clock or so, make sure you get yourself a Scantron, right? fill out your name and ID number, and for the number one, put the letter A, so we know you are here. All right, for those of you who come in late, we have Scantrons for this. So do not forget. <clears throat> so depression in adults, <clears throat> according to the National Institute of Mental Health, depression in adults, 9.5% of US adult population right now is depressed. Not, it's a ten, let's call it 10% of adults is what they call clinically depressed. Right, and that means diagnosed. That doesn't mean people who feel down or aren't diagnosed or are using alternative means to try to take care of whatever they feel. That means clinically significant depression that has been seen by a medical doctor. Severe is 45% of these cases. 
or 4.3% are classified as severe, right? So that means half of the people who have depression are considered severely depressed, right? That's significant, right? To think how many, of the, how many millions of people this is. Any mood disorder from 13 to 18 years old, 14% of 13 to 18 year old kids are considered to, uh, uh, having some kind of a mood disorder and 5% of them are considered severe, right? 5% of our children from 13 to 18, right? Which is, and what is, why is the 13 to 18 year old time period so important? What happens the most in this country in that age group? Well, suicide's, suicide's the big one, right? Puberty is happening during that time, but suicide, this is the number one time for suicide for these kids, unfortunately is during that puberty time when they are really depressed. <clears throat> the cost of depression is $83 billion annually, right? That's a huge amount of money every single year that's being spent on depression, right? And where is it all coming from? Research in developmental psychology suggests that if an infant does not have positive emotional attachment to his mother during the first two years, there's an increased risk of depression, right? So. What does that mean, positive emotional attachment? What that means is, is, is the child and the mom bonding? Are the two of them bonding, right? That's why breastfeeding is so important. Bless you. Breastfeeding is so important for a mom and a baby to bond together, right? But if women are having to work multiple jobs, a single mom having to work multiple jobs and is not able to get that bonding time in and not able to breastfeed as successfully as, as she'd like to, that is causing all kinds of issues in the kids, right? So we just say, oh, it's no big deal. I, I'm just not gonna breastfeed. I'm just gonna give them a bottle. Well, there might be a ramification to that. Oh, it's no big deal, you know, that I'm not taking care of baby. Because I, 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 I have to work three different jobs. I'll just have someone else take care of it. We, we have to think of there, there might be ramifications to this, right? Our behaviors have ramifications to our future generations. <clears throat> the gift of moods. For some people, a low or high mood may represent a gift from the psyche. The mood may signal the release of creative powers. So when someone, <clears throat> what, what happens in this country is they say, I'm in a bad mood, right? And if you're in a bad mood, what does that mean? Well, I better do something to make my mood feel better. And how are we taught as a young person, what do we see the older people do who come home and say, God, I've had a really rough day. I need to go to the fridge and get a beer because I've got to change my mood. Right, we're teaching our kids, right? I can't change my mood by myself, right? I can do something outside and take something from the outside and put it on the inside to change my mood. So <clears throat> where is that, why is that such a big shock that we have such unbelievable like uh, addictions these days, right? Where is it a huge shock that we're the number one country for opium and opioids, right? How is that a shock? Right? I saw that just a couple months ago. The United States is now the number one country in the world for opium addiction. Right? Where did all that come from? Where did all that come from? It's because we taught our kids to do that. We taught our kids, you got a problem? Take a drink. You got a problem? Take a pill. Right? We taught them, if something doesn't work on the inside, what do you got to do? You got to get something from the outside to fix it on the inside. <clears throat> That's why chiropractic is such a break from tradition. Right? Because a lot of times a patient will adjust the patient and they'll say, what? Is that it? Like, well, what the hell do you want me to do? Pour something on you? Right? You, 
What, what do you want different, right? We turn the power on. One of my favorite things, if someone says, is that it? Is that all you can do? I, and I usually what I tell them is like, all right, <clears throat> let's say there's a light switch over here. Right? I can't find any quickly. So there's a light switch over here. What do you want me to do to the light switch once I turn it on? Right? Do I need to do anything else? Something else has to be done? Do I need to, to, to pour something on it? Do I need to inject it with something? Do I need to, to rub it with something? Does anything else need to happen? <clears throat> once the, the light is on, it's on. Right? And, and that's it. And they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Right? Because right? that's the chiropractic adjustment. The adjustment turns the power back on. <clears throat> And by the way, it's a great way to teach a kid, right? You want to teach a kid what chiropractic is. I had a little boy last week, he's got ADHD. He's like, I don't understand. You're showing me the spine thing. I get the nerves, okay. But I don't get, like, what are you going to, what's it going to do? So <clears throat> what I, we have a, a, my, our, in our exam room, it's, there's no windows, right? So I open the door a little crack. So when I turn off the lights, he doesn't get scared. And I open the door a little crack. I say, okay, so buddy, this is what's happening. You have a subluxation in your spine, right? That subluxation is taking the power down. Your body isn't working the way it's supposed to, right? It's kind of like this, and I turn, the power, I turn the light off, and now the room is dark except for the little bit of light, you know, coming in. And I said, this is what your body is like with your power off. I said, do you want to be like this? He said, no. I said, good, because this is what we're going to do. Flip, and I flip the switch. That's what an adjustment does. It turns the power back on. That's what chiropractic does, right? He get it, so did his mom. Right? Now he likes getting adjusted. He really enjoyed getting He was afraid to get adjusted because he didn't understand. Right? He understands that. Now he's excited to get adjusted. He's like, that's cool. Right? That sounds really cool. Did you know the diagnosis of depression changed in 1980? Depression used to be called melancholia, was recognized for centuries as having two kinds, with cause and without cause. The distinction was lost when the DSM-3, which based this diagnosis only on symptoms and not on causes. Right? So they used to have melancholia with cause and melancholia without cause, right? So if you're depressed because you had a, you're getting, going through a divorce, right? You're depressed because, you know, something's tragedy is happening in your family. You're depressed because something, you just failed a major exam, like an Oscar, you went, okay, well, that's with cause. Makes sense you're upset, right? You wouldn't have to medicate that because there's, okay, we, we know it, why this, this happened, and we can help talk, do some talk therapy, like my wife you know, specializes in, do some some conversational therapy help you get through that crisis, right? But if there's no cause, that's different, right? You're depressed and there's no, your life is going good, but you're depressed, right? That's no cause. That's different than depression with cause, right? And I think that's a huge thing that, that they kind of pulled away from because now if someone says they're depressed, what do they instantly do? It's a knee-jerk reaction. You're, I'm depressed. What happens? Prozac, right? I'm depressed, right? Bam, drugs instantaneously. And that's why it's so important to make sure that your patients use words correctly. Right? When they go into their doctor's office, even from something like an ear infection, right? Or what they think is an ear infection. If their kid's got a fever, there's two ways to approach going to the pediatrician. And you've got to teach your patients this. Pa way number one, bad way. Doctor, <laughs> my kid's crying every night and it's pulling on his ear and he's got a fever and I think, they, I think it's an ear infection. You gotta give me the amoxicillin, please give me amoxicillin, right? That's way number one. Very bad approach because you'll get whatever you ask for. Way number two, you know, my child was doing really good and then all of a sudden she isn't feeling well and actually a little bit of fever and she's kind of up at night which isn't very, you know, fun. Maybe it's teething, 
but maybe it's an ear infection. Can you check out and see? Completely different. Same doctor will give you a completely different reaction. Same doctor, because we've seen it happen, right, in my practice, where two patients went to the same doctor, and one is a hysterical mom, right, that we call the, the helicopter moms, holy hysterical mom, comes in, crying, oh my God, oh my God, baby, sick, I don't know what to do, uh, gets a pill. Another woman comes in and says, hey, I think it might be teething, but can you just check out? Well, you know, the, the, the ears are a little red, but let's kind of wait and see. Why don't you come back in a couple days and we'll see, right? Isn't that a better approach, right? That's the whole idea here, with, with cause, without cause. Instead of saying, saying, doc, I'm depressed, I need a pill. Bring it, right? Give me them pills, right? Let's, well, what, what, what's going on? Let's discuss like the pros and cons of you taking this medication. Like, do you realize that if you, if you go on some, something like Prozac or Valium or, or all these other pills, do you realize that there's a consequence to that, right? Like getting off is not very easy. Like once you're on these things, getting off is super hard because these pills have claws. So I'm more than willing to prescribe this to you, but do you realize that there's a, a long-term consequence to this? And, it's, and if you want to start this, if, you, if you, could we go through some talk therapy and that doesn't work, that might be an answer. But let's not start there, right? Wouldn't that be a better conversation? Then here, let me just throw pills at you. Everybody just take the pill. I have a problem, take a pill. I have a problem, take a pill. Right? We're not creating a healthier America, are we? Are we the healthiest country in the world? No, we're one of the sickest countries in the world. You know, our infant mortality rate is higher than 37 other countries. Is that crazy? We're the greatest country in the world. We got the most money thrown at babies all the time. And we're number 37th in the world, infant mortality? That's nuts. Our life expectancy is worse than like 100 other countries in the world. Little itty bitty nothing countries. We got more money than Adam to throw at people. Right? But what's happening is we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker because all we're doing is drugging us down. Right? We're drugging us down. My opinion, Drew Rubin's opinion, right? Chiropractic first. Try chiropractic first. Right? We should be the gateway people. We should be the people everybody goes sees when there's a problem. And that doesn't work. Then we start going to other things and funneling things out. Right? You want a healthier country, we ain't making one the way we're making it. We ain't make, with the direction we're going, it ain't getting healthy. We're just getting sicker and sicker, right? When I was a kid, autism rate was 1 in 10,000. What is it now? 1 in 68. When I was a kid in the 1960s, 1 in 10,000. Now it's 1 in 68. That's not a good direction. Here's interesting, another interesting stat. <clears throat> Cancers, right? Cancer. In 1950, same percentage as now. No difference. In the amount of cancer, and that people dying from the, people, more people are dying from cancer now, but statistically it's the same as 1950s, 1960s when the war on cancer was declared, and when it's not all the same. They got chemotherapy and radiation; it's all the same. But now, young who's who used to get cancer? It was our grandmas and grandpas. Now, who's getting it? We have students, unfortunately, who have cancer. Right? This is crazy. We're making a sicker and sicker and sicker country. We better start rethinking a lot of our, our healthcare in this country, because whatever we're doing, it ain't working. <clears throat> so there's two types of this neurodiverse depression. We have, this is what they used to call it. Uh, the productive depression occurs when there's evidence that something useful or there's some kind of learning is happening because of this depression, right? So, so during this, this depressive episode, they're realizing, okay, I'm depressed because of this. I need to change this, this, and this. So I'm not depressed anymore, right? That's called the productive depression. 
And this is unproductive depression, where no maturation or learning is occurring. Right? So there's two kinds of depression, according to Dr. Armstrong. <clears throat> uh, Thomas Moore, another great author, talks about the gift of depression. The soul presents itself in a variety of colors, including the, all the shades of gray, blue, and black. To care for the soul, we must observe the full range of its coloring and resist the temptation to approve only if it's certain colors. Right? So we have to approve all different things. Be okay with all different places. <clears throat> Try to skip to the next thing here. Okay, so this is important. So if someone is someone who is depressed, what they have to do is figure out what's the best way that they can live their life. What's the best way that they can live their life with this kind of issue that, there's, that they're dealing with, right? So structure your daily life that will reduce stress. So that kind of person would probably be ideal for working at home or creating their own kind of schedule, right? Rather than being in a stressful environment, I wouldn't recommend someone who's depressed be in a super stressful environment, right? These shouldn't be people like stockbrokers. This would be a bad person to be depressed, right? Because that is unbelievable stress, right? We want to think about someone, <clears throat> create niche environments for these people, especially when they're younger people and they're growing, they're getting you know, older into the time that they want to decide what I want to do with my life. Help them. <clears throat> Help them think about what a better <clears throat> plan for their life would be. And they're like, and try to steer them into things that would be a, a better occupation. Work for yourself. Avoid the tension <clears throat> from office politics, et cetera, if possible. Additional stress-reducing activities such as yoga, meditation, volunteering, <clears throat> eating right and exercise. One of the most important things we could teach our patients is to eat right and exercise. And there might be some people who say that's not chiropractic. <clears throat> and I will say, I agree, eating right and exercise is not chiropractic. And I do not have a weight loss clinic in my office. I don't have a bunch of exercise stuff in my office. Not that that's bad or wrong, I just don't do it. But if we don't teach someone, if, if you adjust them, and they're going out and eat McDonald's and Burger King and Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A, and that's their diet, you're gonna have a hard time getting out of whatever they're in, whether it's depression or autism or ADHD or just subluxation, right? If you're, not, if you're feeding your body poison, you're gonna keep on having a poison body, and then the poison body will produce more poison, right? So it's important to counsel them, right? So I don't sell all kinds of vitamins in my office. I don't sell any of that stuff at all. <clears throat> but we, we'll talk to them. If they're interested, we'll talk to them about how to eat better, because I think that's super important, right? It's not about, like, here's an example. We just had a patient yesterday, <clears throat> I mean Monday, say to me, well, um, my child has this one kind of problem, and uh, this ADHD issue, and what we did is we went to <clears throat> this one doctor, and he um, did this, this testing on me, and found out uh, on him, and found all these deficiencies, so we're giving him all these vitamins uh, to make him less deficient on these things. I said, really? And, and, and she said, but the, the, all these vitamins is, is like, he doesn't like taking them and it's giving him like lots of stomach aches. I, I said, because the problem isn't a vitamin deficiency, right? So you might be deficient in C and E and K and whatever you might be deficient in, but why don't you eat the foods that have that rather than taking a bunch of supplements, right? Especially if the supplements, because a lot of times the supplements are not the answer, right? Because the supplements are, don't have the cofactors that are, are needed for the thing to be absorbed, right? So when you have vitamin C, plain vitamin C, right, does it have all the cofactors? Like an orange is very different than vitamin C in a pill that's been sitting on a shelf for a year. You can't tell me it's the same thing, right? And they say, well, I'm just gonna throw some deficient, you're deficient in these things, I'm gonna throw some deficient, your deficiency vitamins into some bunch of supplements. 
why don't you eat the things that you're deficient in, right? Make some smoothies and some, or juice some juices to put some of that stuff in that person's body. Wouldn't that be a healthier way to go, right? That has all the cofactors with it that it really needs. And exercise. Movement is everything. Movement is life. If you're not moving, you are dying, right? Movement is everything. Right now, even though you can't see it, our cells are moving like crazy, right? There's all kinds of movement, even just electrons. Electrons are constantly, even when we're sleeping, they're just buzzing around, the, right? Middle of the nucleus, all just zipping around, right? Movement is life. So, and a lot of people, when you're depressed, what do you do? You sit and you eat, right? And usually you eat junk. Two of the worst things that someone who's depressed can do. So understand that we have to teach them how to move and the importance of movement. Now, you don't have to have a gym in your office if you don't want to. But you just got to say, I don't care if you just walk. Just do something to get some movement in you, right? Because movement is critical, right? My wife is really hurting, but she's still walking, right? She probably gets more steps than you do, and she can hardly walk, right? She's got over 10,000 steps a day, even though she's having lots of problems walking, <clears throat> because she knows movement is life, right? If you're not moving, you're not living, right? You should be counting your steps, right? Whether you have a Fitbit or you use your phone, an app on the phone or whatever to count, you've got to count your steps. If, you're, if you young kids here are not getting 10,000 steps a day, what are you doing, right? Make yourself get 10,000 steps a day, right? Movement is everything. 10,000 steps should be a bare minimum, right? That's like a, that's a mild day for, for me and my wife under normal situations, right? So push yourselves. Push yourselves to, to eat better. Push yourselves to exercise. And if you have depression, absolutely, you've you got to move, right? Sitting on a computer or sitting on, here's my, my least favorite thing that I see you guys doing all day long. You guys are living vicariously through someone else's life. Let me look at Facebook, look at Facebook, look at Facebook. Could you stop wasting your damn time on Facebook? Facebook should be a tool. For me, it is a tool. It is a practice tool. I use it to get new patients, right? That's what I use my Facebook for, is to get new patients and keep my, patient, my current patients engaged. Facebook is a tool. It shouldn't be a crutch. If you're spending more than an hour a day on Facebook, you really need to rethink your priorities. You are creating depression in your own life. You are creating dependence in your own life. You are actually having little serotonin boosts and dopamine boosts. Every time you read a little Facebook thing, you're becoming addicted to it. That's what happens to people who get addicted to apps and addicted to Facebook and addicted to video games, is they get these little, little bits of, of dopamine and serotonin boosts pumped into them by, by, oh, I like this, ooh, and you get this little dopamine boost. Ooh, I'm playing this little game, ooh, I get this little dopamine boost. You get addicted to it. So if you're on your phone more than an hour a day and it's not because of business, it's not because of learning, it's not because you're reading a book or something that's going to give you something, right? It's, here's the thing I want you to ask. I'm asking of you guys. If, if your use on your phone is not giving you something, is not giving you something that's tangible, like new patients in our case, or like reading a book so you're learning something, right? If you're not educating or growing your practice, then you're wasting your time then you're wasting your time. And I'm going to ask you guys to really think about that, right? Not that you shouldn't ever have look at Facebook and shouldn't be, you know, talk to your friends on Facebook, but that shouldn't be a majority of your day. You're spending more than an hour a day on Facebook and you're not getting something back, you're spending too much time.
I want you to really think about that. <clears throat> so people with depression, these are great things for people with depression and mood disorders. These are things that they can all, they can do that could be kind of, they can do it themselves, right? Things, these are, are excellent ideas. Not good matches, like I said before, high stress jobs, firefighter, stockbroker, CEO, ad traffic controller. That would not be a good person who's depressed to be an ad traffic controller here at the Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. I would not want a depressed person sitting there, right? <coughs> right? If you really think about it. Those are, those are not the people you want as stockbrokers either, right? They're buying and selling your mutual funds and your stocks and your bonds. And you don't want these people depressed in the middle of all that chaos. You see the chaos that happens. You've seen that kind of stuff, right? There's a lot of mental health challenges before and after pregnancy too, right? We need to understand that. We need to understand that pregnancy can be a very challenging time uh, for a mom. Um, and we need to be okay with taking care of that pregnant mom, right? They need to have a, a massive support system, right? It used to be, the, there used to be a quote, if you talk to any midwife, this is what she'll tell you. Like, it takes a community to birth a baby. It takes a community to birth a baby. It's not a single person. So if you have a, a pregnant mom, we, we, she needs more support than ever before because now she's got all kinds of crazy hormones going on in there. And she's carrying hormones not just for herself but her little baby, growing baby too, right? So we need to care for that because there's a lot of mood issues that start during pregnancy. And if they're not taken care of during pregnancy, then what happens after she has the baby? What does she float into? What's it called? Postpartum depression, right? Postpartum depression, that's your next stop. If you look at all the statistics, most women who've had postpartum depression after pregnancy had some kind of depression before, uh, while they were pregnant, right? So if you see a pregnant mom, because we see tons of pregnant moms, if you see that they're already in an upset state, in a depressed state for whatever reason, right? There's a zillion possible reasons. For whatever reason, we need to help them, right? Whether it is getting them some special counseling, right? Whether they go to their church or, or temple or, or whatever to get counseling or they talk to some, maybe some kind of groups of other pregnant moms or whatever, they need some counseling, right? They also need some confidence. Most pregnant women who are about to have a baby are scared out of their minds. Because what is the example that the United States television system shows as a birth? Give me, what are they, what, what's happening during that birth? Are they having a loving birth at home with, you know, the midwife and the dad and the, or the birth partner and, and everybody's all happy and then the lights are low and there's lovely music playing? Is that what they usually show? No. What kind of birth? is the United States movie industry and TV industry showing as a typical birth in the United States? Right, screaming their heads off, right? Screaming their heads off. Now, if you talk to women who've had home births or water births, they have a very different experience, right? They have a very different experience of what a birth is, right? They go into themselves, right? They funnel that channel into themselves. And unless it's a kind of a challenged birth, it's a very different experience for them. Right? But if you have a woman who is afraid of the typical American birth and all her friends have had the same typical American birth, so what did they tell her? Oh boy, when you're in labor, you're going to scream your head off. When you're in labor, you're going to curse that birth partner. When you're in labor, you're going to be throwing things. When you're in labor, you're going to hate it. You're going to ask for meds. So what do they do? Right? They do whatever their friends tell them. Right? 
and they just I, I'm just following the orders. The orders are do this, and I'm just going to follow my orders, right? So we've created this very scary thing called birth that could be very beautiful, but we've changed it into something very scary, right? So if you're going into birth being petrified of having a baby, chances are you're going to have a much more challenged birth, right? So we need to prepare them. And one of the most important things as a chiropractor we can do is to adjust them. Because if their pelvis is out of alignment like this, well, remember, this is what we tell our patients. Just had a new pregnant lady on Monday. I said, if your pelvis is like this, and then that pelvis opens up during birth, what happens? Is it opens up like this, and then the baby gets stuck. That's very uncomfortable and very challenging. But if your pelvis is straight like this, and now the pelvis opens up, now the baby just comes right out. Right? So we had a woman... Uh, just uh, last week, on uh, actually su um, Sunday, she gave birth to her, her third baby. Took the, her two hours. She's been adjusted each time. She's been this time was two hours. She said I hardly felt it, and she's been adjusted for her last three pregnancies. Right? No pain, no drugs, no nothing. She said I stayed at home until I felt the transition coming. I went to the hospital and I had the baby. Right? And that's not weird. But in this country, it is. That's not the norm, right? The norm, the norm in this country is screaming, crying, huge amounts of epidural, Pitocin, all this kind of stuff. That's a typical birth, right? I'd be scared of that if that's what I was facing too. But there's another way, and we have to teach them that. You don't have to have a home birth, right? You don't have to have a water birth. That's not for everybody, and I get that. You don't have to have a midwife birth. But you could have a different kind of birth, but we have to teach them. Right? We have to adjust them, and we've got to teach them. And one of the most important things I teach our pregnant ladies, especially their first-time moms, right? or a mom who's having a V-back, we just had a mom have a V-back, as vertebral, I mean, um, a vaginal birth after cesarean. Right? And her doctor said, no way. After the birth you had, the first birth, there's zero way. She had a water birth. Water birth, perfectly natural. And this little girl came out, most gorgeous little head, perfect little spine, no subluxations. The first time I checked her, no subluxations, right? So that's the way it's supposed to be, right? So we have, what we have to teach them is this. You are a woman. Your body is designed for this. For millennia, women have had babies. For millennia, women have had babies. Don't let anybody talk you out of your potential birth. Now, sure, it's not going to be easy, right? That's why they call it labor. Labor is work, right? So we're not saying it's going to be easy, simple. Not everybody gets that kind of birth, right? But it's possible. And understand that your body is meant to have a baby. Not one. What's the C-section rate in our country right now? 33%. Are you telling me that one-third of all American women can't have babies? Right? This country wouldn't survive if that was true. Right? This country would fall apart if one-third of all American women if this was 200 or 300 years ago, if one-third of all American women died during childbirth, that would be a sad state. Right? You can't tell me that 33% of the women are supposed to be having C-sections. Supposed to be 7 to 10%. That's normal. 33%, that's way out of line. Right? And, but that's what we're preparing our women for. Except in your offices, except in my office, right? In my office, we, we don't see that. We see the normal C-section rate, 7 to 10%. That's the normal C-section rate, right? You're going to have C-section. This is the way it is, right? Just crazy things happen. 
I mean, that's totally okay. But 33%, that's not right. That is not right. So we have to teach our people, right? We have to teach our people how to think, right? The whole point of why I came to this class to teach you guys is to shake you guys up. Make you guys realize what, how important what it is that you're going to do, right? You're not just going in to crack backs, right? That's a very basic thing that you do. If you think your only reason being a chiropractor is to push a bone from point A to point B, that is boring, right? You're really there as an educator. That's what your real job is. The reason chiropractic is in such a dismal state today compared to where it should be is because most of us think we're backcrackers. All I do, I just crack my back. Let me just crack the back, crack the back, crack. Well, you can get a monkey to crack the back. You can get a machine. One of these days it'll be a robot. It's just going to go, right? Next person, right? Cracking a back can be, is, is a robotic thing. But cr giving an adjustment with that special something and telling them how amazing their little body is, or how, if they're a baby, or how amazing their body is if they're pregnant, how you've got all these possibilities, that's what a chiropractor does, right? We chiropractors got to step it up. We got to step up what we've been saying to our people. We got to step up what we've been talking about. We can't just talk about back, back pain, neck pain, headaches, whiplash. That's boring. That's not what chiropractic was based on. That's not what it's about. Chiropractic is about life. Chiro that's why there's a life university, right? Chiropractic is about tone. That's what D.E. Palmer said. Tone, right? Improving tone. That's why neurology is so important. Functional neurology is so important because tone is the tone of the nerves, the tone of the nerve system, right? We, can, we help with this kind of stuff. So that's why I came here this morning, to kind of make you guys think a little bit, right? So now what I want you guys to do is, hold on a second. <clears throat> 